We move now into God's word read. And so we're looking at Luke chapter one and two over the past uh, week and upcoming weeks. And so as we continue in this, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 26. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, when I was a kid, um, I had heroic visions of myself that were often tied to movies that I liked to watch as a kid. So as a little boy, I imagined myself, I could see myself, or I tried to imagine myself as Luke Skywalker, because the Star Wars series that involved Luke Skywalker was the most iconic film series as a little boy growing up. I I tried to imagine what it was like to have the gifting of the Jedi, to to be the one called to save the universe. They had to fight Vader and the evil empire. And you kind of go in your head into this, could I do that? And you identify with a character, at least that's what I did, these heroic characters like that. And I I guess if, if I was born in a different era, it would have been Frodo or Harry or Katniss or the Lone Ranger. There's, there's this idea, and not everyone does it, but often little boys have this vision of like, could I be the hero in that scene? As I was growing up too, I watched a lot of war movies and identified with the soldiers who had to go out and sacrifice um, in World War II or Vietnam. And these movies that would would cycle in my mind thinking, not necessarily heroically, but could I bear the burden, that threat of life and death, the sacrifice, be willing to die for something bigger than myself? I remember watching the the Saving Private Ryan in those opening 20, 25 minutes and just how gruesome and powerful and thinking, what would I do? 
What would I do when the front hatch of that boat emptied and the guns were laid on me and I had to storm the beaches of Normandy? Would I have the courage to do it? Could I be that kind of a guy? Now, not everyone has that same like Luke Skywalker, you know, Frodo Baggins, could I storm the beaches of Normandy? But I think each of us has some version of a vision of ourself and a vision of our future and ideal self. Usually that vision involves some version of like being good at something, having influence or being accepted and approved of by people, finding love, finding that, that we matter. And so we, if, if you have gift of writing, you want to be a great writer. You imagine yourself as the next Dorothy Sayer or Hemingway or C.S. Lewis. You don't just want to be in business. You want to be the celebrated and beloved CEO who's on the cover of the magazine and is also loved by your employees. You want to be the beloved teacher, the one who not only wins Teacher of the Year Award, but who every kid wants to have. There's a Christian version of this as well that is we, we kind of mix our desires for success and popularity and acceptance and fame with thinking about doing good for God. You know, it's, um, I remember a friend years ago who wanted to be very rich. He thought God was calling him to be rich so that he could give away a lot to the church and to ministries, you know, to organizations that he cared about. So I'm going to be rich so that I can give away, which is fine. Or people who, you know, we, we have this desire to, we envision ourselves as the person up front speaking or using popularity and fame so that people come to love Jesus like we do, and, and they might also come to love us. And so it's popularity or fame or influence or success or being the hero. And my guess is some of you even have this other version, which is, I just want to be a happy nobody. I, the hope is not glory and success and fame. It's just a comfortable, happy life. And so the movies of the romantic ideal getting together or of a happy family with all of the foibles and mess ups, but it's just the happy family. You, you just want a job, a family, a home, and mostly to be left alone. I think that's actually the best picture of Mary. If you were thinking about her as the teenage girl that was called on by the angel, she probably just wanted a simple, happy, good life. She wanted to get married to Joseph, which she was going to marry him in the next year. She probably wanted to have kids and grow up in Nazareth as the wife of a carpenter and all of her family and friends nearby. She probably would have been happy with being a happy nobody, unknown, left alone. But God doesn't leave us alone. And we get this in the story of the Annunciation of Jesus' birth to Mary. I'm going to say, like, if we read through this story, what we find is we find the description of a woman who's not even a woman. By describing her as a virgin betrothed to be married, we know that she's probably 13, 14, 15, 16 years old at best. So eighth or ninth grader in our modern world. So she's an eighth or ninth grader from a rural small village in the far end of the empire. She's a nobody. And, and yet she gets this greeting in verse 28 from an angel who appears to her. 
And the angel Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And Mary's response is she is greatly troubled. Basically, she's confused. She's surprised and confused. She's basically thinking, I think you have the wrong person. Do you know who I am? I mean, I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm a teenage girl who's betrothed to be married to this guy who's a carpenter. And I'm not really, an, and I live in Nazareth and I, I don't know much. She's from a humble rural village. She's uneducated, most likely, except for the limited education she would have gotten in a Jewish community. She's poor or a peasant, and she literally is a nobody. In a culture where maleness was uh, lifted up above femaleness, where uh, being a Roman citizen was greater than being a Jewish citizen, where living in a city like Jerusalem made you higher up than living in a village like Nazareth, she was at the lower end of the totem pole. And yet, the Lord calls on her through the angel. And she's curious about this. The angel comes to her and says, you're going to have a child. And not only a child, you're going to have a child that is going to be the savior of the world. He is going to be the son of the most high. He is going to be the king that was promised, the Messiah, to bring salvation to Israel. All these hundreds of years where we've been longing for God to come in the form of the Messiah, he is coming and you are going to bear that child. And then Mary's response is one that almost sounds like doubt, but it's actually a question of curiosity. In verse 34, she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Her wording is different than Zechariah's that we looked at last week because her wording is actually more like curiosity and wonder, whereas Zechariah wants a sign. Basically, Zechariah's like, this can't be that I'm going to have a kid. I'm an old man. Prove it to me that you're not lying to me, angel. Mary's is more of a curious questioning, like, um, you know how babies happen, right? She's almost like thinking, I think the angel doesn't realize my situation. I'm, I'm 14, and I'm betrothed to be married, but, you know, I, I'm not married yet. We, I'm still a virgin. Does he have an idea how this works? One of the amazing things about Mary is in her curiosity, in her perplexion, in her confusion, we get the opposite of what we want to be. What we want to be is we want to be savvy and sophisticated, educated, aware, in the know. We don't want to be naive. We fear looking foolish saying a dumb thing. And so if we enter into a circle of people that know more about something, we keep our mouth shut. We don't ask questions. We'll look foolish. And we don't want to be the person who simply just has no idea what's going on. But Mary in this situation is completely earnest. She is guileless. She is naive. In a word, she's humble. And that is the sort of person God chooses, not the sophisticated, not the one who's got it figured out. Zechariah has it figured out. Mary does not. And the Lord says, you're the one I choose. 
to bear the Savior. And then we get Mary's amazing words in verse 38, that if we're going to enter into the words uh, or the story and think about the, the heroes of a movie, would we be willing to say what Mary said? Her version of storming the beaches. She says to the angel, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I am the servant, the doulos, the slave, the bond servant, the handmaid of the Lord. I am here to serve the Lord. I, I bind myself to you, Lord, and will do whatever you ask of me. Basically, what she's saying in here is she is giving herself fully over to God. She's giving her body over to God. Everything about her, her life as it is, her future, her physical self, her womb, she's giving it over to God. And her yes is an open-ended yes. It's not a yes, but, or a yes, can you clarify, or a yes, what's this going to look like? It's simply a yes, Lord, regardless of what the calling entails. Why was Mary chosen? You know, the angel says that she's favored. And there's been, you know, some uh, buildup around that in relation to Mary as one who uh, was filled with favor and grace in and of herself. But the phrasing there, both in verse 28 and verse 30, is, O favored one is a title that's bestowed upon her by the angel declaring God's word, which is then affirmed in verse 30 when it says, You have found favor with God. Now, that phrasing favor is actually, it, it actually means graced, graced. And it's, it's found in Old Testament stories of Noah, of David, of Hannah, that God's grace was with them. And actually, we get it um, in, in the New Testament as well. And basically, it, bas it means it's not that Mary had the character trait of being favored or deserving of favor but rather it's God's unmerited and generous grace was laid upon her. God extended his generosity towards her. Therefore, she is a favored one. But the good news of the gospel is that anyone who is in Christ is a favored and chosen one. In Ephesians 1, the exact same phrase is used, the exact same wording. And it basically says that in Christ, in Christ, Ephesians 1 declares us, if our faith is in Christ, we are chosen, predestined, redeemed, forgiven. That God's favor and grace have been bestowed upon us. It is an act of God to reach out and extend his mercy, to prepare our hearts by his Holy Spirit, and to reveal himself to us through his Son crucified for us. It is by grace we are saved. If your faith is in Christ, it's by grace that you have that faith. And if your faith is in Christ, God's favor and chosenness is on you, just like Mary. And so Mary then out of that grace says, yes, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me, as you have said, let, let it be to me according to your word. Let what you have said happen to me. But the question is this, what is Mary actually saying yes to when she says, yes, Lord, 
I, I let it happen to me. And you know, if you read what the angel says, basically she's saying yes to being the mom of the Messiah, of the savior of the world. And that's kind of like, cool. I mean, of course you want to say yes to that. Like you're going to have Luke Skywalker. You're going to be the one who, you know, gives birth to, you're going to be a part of the family of, of the hero of Katniss, of, of Frodo, of what the Lone Ranger. Like, yeah, of course you want to be a part of that family. That's a cool thing. But part of our issue is that we have this vision of Mary that is built on a lot of history and imagery that has been given to us that doesn't quite match her realistic situation. You know, our visions of Mary are, in a sense, tainted by nativity scenes and Christmas cards and art that portrays her beatific vision, the beauty and the uh, of a 25-year-old woman who's wearing royal clothing and glowing. We have thousand plus years of veneration of Mary in some traditions where she is elevated not only to the saint that she is for following Christ and, and saying yes, but to an elevated status that is above any normal person. And what we have trouble with is that we can't not see, we can't not see a venerated Mary, a nativity Mary. And so we severely underestimate the cost of her calling. Here she is, a 14 or 15 year old girl, going to have a baby by herself, essentially an unwed mom in a trailer park in Northern Kentucky, or in the rural villages of Honduras. And there is a cost to what she is going to do. The cost is very obvious if you think through what life was like in that day and age and what having a baby, not with a husband, would mean to a teenage girl. First, of course, there's the, the just sheer burden of what the angel is saying to her. The weight of the promise is you're going to have the Savior, the Son of God. And as any of us know who have kids, there is a anxiety as a parent that you feel when your kid is up to bat or your kid is about to perform on stage because you feel the burden of their success or failure. Well, she was going to have the savior of the world. The burden and anxiety of that that she would have felt would have been tre just tremendous. And on top of that, the promise was that her son, Jesus, would be a king, would sit on a throne. And she would have known very well that you did not usurp thrones without becoming target. She, she would have known she and her son would have had a target on their head from Herod, from Rome. You can't claim to be a king without getting in trouble. She would have felt the cost of the burden and she would have felt it personally with the risk to her own self. If she, can you imagine your 14 year old daughter, your ninth grade daughter, who's maybe got a steady boyfriend, which is essentially what what Mary had with Joseph and she was engaged to him coming to you and saying, Hey, I'm pregnant, but don't worry. An angel told me that it was the Lord God. It's miraculous. I'm still a virgin and the baby is a chosen one. How supportive would you be as parents? Would you believe your daughter? In that day and age, she risked being expelled from her family even expelled from her village, which would have made her unable to provide for herself. Her future could have involved rejection by the only community she knew and starvation.
On top of that, the her allegiance to Joseph, who she was betrothed to be married, she was engaged, but it was a step deeper than what we think of as that. He had every right to divorce her, as Matthew tells us. She could have lost her family, her village, her future husband, and she could have lost her life. What she was claiming could have been interpreted as adultery. Yeah, you say you're pregnant by the Lord, but we, we don't believe that. And they would have, by evidence, executed her by stoning with justification. And yet she says yes to the Lord. And that's not even the fullness of what she's saying yes to. She doesn't actually fully anticipate the suffering that she will endure as the mother of Jesus. She will experience the loss of her honor and reputation in that community because of the claims that she's going to be making. But her future would also involve years of heartbreak as the son that she raised and loved and had all these promises for eventually is rejected, arrested, tortured, crucified, and hung, humiliating, and dying horrifically right in front of her. The heartache and the heartbreak that she would have experienced as the son of promise becomes the son of rejection, forsakenness, and death would have been immense. She didn't know that that's what she was saying yes to. And the question is, if she had known all this, would she have still said yes? If you knew what sort of cost following Christ would have, if you truly followed him and said yes to everything, would you still do it? Are we willing to respond to God's call on our life with an open-ended yes? Here I am, Lord. I'm yours, your servant. Do with me what you will. What if instead of calling to something like, you know, having the son of God, God called you instead to love a difficult relative? Or what if God called you instead of something like being friends with a weird neighbor? <laughs> or to give away significantly more of your money? Or to obey him in a way that costs you your autonomy and maybe even your happiness? What if giving yourself over to God involved not success, being the hero, being loved and approved of, but maybe rejected, not even known at all? Will you still say yes? You know, years ago, I read a book called Improving Your Serve uh, by Chuck Swindoll. And in it, he talks about the humility and calling of servanthood, of what Mary says, I am the servant of the Lord, and what it looks like in daily life. He quotes at length a poem by a lady named Ruth Harms Calkin. And the poem uh, is called, I Wonder. She was a Christian teacher and writer in the 70s and 80s. And her poem, I Wonder, talks about obeying God, giving yourself over to God, if what he calls you to is not what you want. Let me read the poem to you. You know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. 
You know how eagerly I speak for you at a women's club. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the calloused feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. Are you willing to pray, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word? You know, Christmas, at Christmas, God entered creation. He became human. He entered physical life that we exist in. It is hard to overstate the enormity of Christmas, especially when you think about God becoming man. J.B. Phillips, in one of the, uh, one of the devotionals that's linked on our website, uh, Christmas and Advent Resources, it, he, he wrote the devotional um, for November 26th. And this is what he writes. What we are in fact celebrating in Christmas is the awe-inspiring humility of God. That is why at Christmas time we should not try to escape a sense of awe, almost a sense of fright at what God has done, nor allow anything to blind us to the significance of what happened at Bethlehem. We live on a visited planet. It is hard to overstate the enormity of Christmas. And it's easy to miss the implications of Christmas for us. At Christmas, God chose to reveal himself as a person, a baby, a boy, a man with a physical body. He chose to love and save humanity and all creation through a human being, God enfleshed. And God continues to act savingly and lovingly in this world through human beings, in our physical lives, through us. To believe in Jesus, to know God at all, is to be favored, chosen, called, just as Mary was. The question is, will we say yes? Let's pray. God of wonders, creator of the universe, at Christmas you entered creation, not as a flying superhero, but as a baby held by a teenage mom in a peasant rural village. Give us the heart of humility, willing to say yes openly to you. Amen.